0: Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg pretends to be a Christian while using the Bible to defend abortion through the day of birth. Then House Republicans invite medical experts to testify before Congress that infanticide is real and needs to be stopped while House Democrats refuse to pass an anti-infanticide bill. Finally, after donating a million dollars to pro-abortion Southern Poverty Law Center, Apple brags that their Apple Watch saved an unborn baby's life. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, if you have been following this Democratic presidential campaign for the 2020 election, then you're probably aware of some of the key figures who have gotten a lot of attention from the mainstream media, even if they haven't been polling very popularly with the American um, public. It's because, of course, the media loves People that make them feel good about themselves. The media loves people who believe what they believe. So even if certain individuals aren't polling great, they're going to get a lot of attention. Well, someone who has gotten a lot of attention since he announced his candidacy is um, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, and we talked about him on a, on a previous episode, a previous program, because of his um, protecting the only abortion clinic left in his city, despite their multiple health violations that they refuse to report and work with the... Um, the the state health um, department so he recently went on a radio show called The Breakfast Club you might be aware of it it's a very far left podcast radio show and and they interview him because he's popular and he's pro-choice and he's gay and he's intersectional and he's actually married to a gay man and he's running for president and so of course this is all very very important and Pete Buttigieg says in this interview on this radio show that you know the Bible talks about life beginning with breath Dot, dot, dot. So I guess maybe we should just kill babies up till the point of birth. So we're gonna look at that in just one second. But first, I wanna tell you about our show's first sponsor here on Unaborted. When it comes to marketing, business owners today are inundated with options. This is both a good thing and a bad thing if you're not prepared. Because uh, there's everything from PR to branding, social media, email marketing videos, podcasts, and websites. And with such a confusing wilderness of choices, it's easy to spend a lot of money only to find yourself on the wrong path. Well, Marketing Trail Guide is here to help. This is what they do. They show B2B businesses how to get clear on their objectives, define attainable marketing goals, design a strategic marketing map, and then put systems and resources in place to reach those goals to follow that map. You can think of them as a virtual chief marketing officer. So for a free marketing evaluation, go to marketingtrailguide.com so you can get out of the marketing wilderness and onto the right path to take your B2B business to new heights, to the next level. Listen, don't try to figure this out for yourself. As I said before, a jack of all trades is a master of none. You need someone who knows what they're doing and knows how to blaze these marketing trails correctly. So that's marketingtrailguide.com, marketingtrailguide.com. So as I said. Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana, who's currently running for president and polling in the 2% range or less, but still managed to make the last stage for the Democratic debates, goes on this radio show on The Breakfast Club and essentially says that Jesus loves abortions, that the Bible supports abortions to the day of birth. And so I'm going to play you this segment where he talks about how the Bible is very, very pro-abortion. Now, right now, they hold everybody in line with this one uh, kind of piece of doctrine about abortion, right, which is obviously a tough issue for a lot of people to think through morally. Then again, uh, you know, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that talk about how life begins with breath. And so even that is something that we can interpret differently and uh, take up uh, me too. But I think no matter where you think about the kind of cosmic question of how life begins, most Americans can get on the board with the idea of, all right, I might draw the line here, you might draw the line there. But the most important thing is the person who should be drawing the line is the woman making the decision.
1: Absolutely. And I think that if you're a man who's against abortion, you haven't gotten the wrong woman pregnant. Like she, I mean, your wife. I'm just saying, you know,
0: I'm just saying we've had some slip ups and I've had a few. You know what is incredible about today's political climate is that if you are a politician and you use the Bible to justify certain policies or political opinions and you're a Republican, you are immediately shouted out of the public square. How dare you use your religion to impose policy? How dare you use your subjective sense of morality and religion to justify your policies? There should be a separation of church and state. Keep the Bible out of politics, unless you're a leftist. Unless you're a leftist, and then you start talking about how the Bible is actually pro the position of the left, then the mainstream media loves you and will not call you out for using the Bible or your religion to justify your policies. So... The left, which is basically just the mainstream media, only really cares about the separation of church and state and religion out of politics if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican. And Pete Buttigieg has been doing this for months now. He's been using the Bible to lambast conservatives and explain how the Bible is actually basically just a sacred text of the left that conservatives have misunderstood for millennia and how the Bible is actually very pro-abortion and pro-socialism and pro-gay and all of the things that Pete Buttigieg wants to be true for his life. So in this clip here, he talks about abortion as being a difficult moral issue for many people. And of course, the question that pro-lifers ask is, why is it a very difficult moral issue for many people? So even Pete Buttigieg understands that there is something about the issue of abortion that, that has moral consequences to it, that has moral weight. That's oh, a very difficult moral issue for many people. Why? Why is it a difficult moral issue for many people, Pete Buttigieg? Is it because that you actually know deep down that the unborn is a human being with human DNA and human beings should be treated with equal equality, with equal respect and dignity? Probably so. But... That can't be something he runs on. That can't be, he can't acknowledge reality because as we talked about last week, ideology trumps reality. And, and democratic politicians today have to pander to those who they think they need to get elected and those people are radically pro-abortion. But the most disturbing aspect, of course, is this interview is Pete Buttigieg saying that the Bible is pro-abortion. He, he says, then again, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that talk about how life begins with breath. Even that is something that we can interpret differently. No matter what you think about the cosmic question of how life begins, then he goes on to say only the woman should be drawing the line. No no matter what you think about the question of when life begins, no, no one should really be deciding that. Only the woman should draw the line as if we don't know when life begins, right? As if the question, the cosmic question of how and when life begins is subjective, like we don't know. Oh, we just don't know. You know, The science of embryology hasn't answered that question. Human biology hasn't answered that question. And so you know what? The main question is who should be drawing the line and the woman should be drawing the line. This entire form of argumentation is so biologically ignorant And it's making Pete Buttigieg look like a real fool, a real class act fool on on national television. Because of course, people like Tucker Carlson have replayed this clip on national television. Because the reality is, is that we do know how and when life begins. Good news, Pete Buttigieg. We already know how to answer the question of the, the cosmic question of how life begins. We already know how to answer that. So we don't need you telling us that well, people just interpret differently. So the woman should draw the line because we actually know where that line is drawn and it's drawn at the moment of conception. So there's this thing called sperm and egg, Pete Buttigieg. And uh, if you recall, when they meet, sperm and egg die, they cease to exist and that's called conception. And then there's a new, distinct, unique, living and whole human being from the moment of conception. This is plain undisputed scientific fact affirmed by every embryology textbook on any university campus in the country unless the left has explicitly banned those books because it affirms reality, which contradicts the pro-choice ideology. So we know how to answer that question, Pete Buttigieg, and life begins at conception. So what verses here is Pete Buttigieg talking about when he says, well, the Bible talks about life beginning with breath. And so even that's something that we can interpret differently. Of course, the argument he's making is that unborn children... Don't breathe, at least through their nostril or nose, until their nostril or mouth rather, until they're born. And so he's using the Bible to justify abortion to the day of birth. Well, what verses are he is he even looking at when he's making that argument? Well, I think there's a couple that are very explicit. So in Genesis 2, 7, the God says, the Bible says that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is probably one of the verses that Mayor Pete is thinking of when he is describing life beginning with breath. So, see, God breathed life into the first man, and the man became a living being. So, it was because of God's breath in him that he became a living being. But what you have to understand about this verse you guys, is that Genesis is a text about creation. It's not a biology textbook. And Adam and Eve were, from what we know it seems, if you study Genesis, they didn't go through a prenatal stage. They didn't go through a fetal stage. And, and many well-meaning Christians who absolutely believe in the resurrection, the death resurrection of Christ, um, have questions about whether the book of Genesis, is literal or written figuratively in its era to combat other mythological creation stories. And many well-meaning Christians who believe in the gospel have disagreed on that. But the, the main point here is that Genesis is a text about creation. It's not a biology textbook. And so Adam and Eve, if the book of Genesis is indeed literal, would not have gone through a prenatal or fetal development stage. They would have been formed by God as basically fully formed teenagers or adults and because they would have had children shortly after so it's not a description of how biology takes place of how every human being after them developed who developed in a womb these would have been the first human being secondly unborn babies do breathe <laughs> mayor pete has no idea what he's talking about or he does and he's being he's being cynical in order to advance a pro-choice position because unborn babies do breathe they just don't breathe through their nostril or mouth when they're in the womb. They breathe through the umbilical cord. So babies are breathing in the womb. And so if, if your argument is that life begins with breath, it shouldn't matter how that breath is happening, how that breathing is happening, <laughs> if, that's, if that's your main argument, because unborn children do indeed breathe in the womb. The second verse or passage that Pete Buttigieg might be referencing when he says that life begins with breath and therefore we should be able to kill babies as they're being born is in Ezekiel 37, four through six. And so the prophet Ezekiel says, then he said to me, this would be God talking, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So again, you see this imagery of of God breathing in breath, putting in breath into human beings and that they will then come to life. But Ezekiel's account here is a vision that the Lord gave him and it symbolizes the spiritual deadness of the people of Israel. Again, this is not a description of human development, of embryology, of how we, how we became who we are as whole human beings. This was a specific vision God gave him that symbolize the spiritual deadness of the people of Israel, but then includes God's promise of recreation and revitalizing of the nation as a whole. So these dry bones in this valley that Ezekiel is envisioning symbolize the dry bones and spiritual deadness of the people of Israel, but that God is promising to put bone and flesh on them and breathe life into them. This is symbolic imagery for God's future promises. This is not biology. This has nothing to do with how human beings get their value through the breath or through through tendons or through flesh all of the different words that are used. In this passage, and these are two of the most popular passages in scripture where you see life being linked with breath or breath being linked with life. And clearly, none of this is communicating that babies can be slaughtered through the point of birth because until they can literally breathe through their nostril or mouth, they're not valuable. So, I mean, so anyways, Two can play at this game, Pastor Pete, Mayor Pete, who has just been waxing and waning religiously on the American people saying that they're bad Christians because they believe in the Bible and that, and that Pete Buttigieg's interpretation, interpretation of the Bible is this new revelation he has received that enables him to live as a married gay man who supports slaughtering and dismembering babies up until the point of birth because you know, Jesus just really loves abortions. And Pete Buttigieg is an outspoken Christian, meaning that like he's actually said he's a Christian. He's not just saying, well, Christians say the Bible says this and here's why they're wrong. He has literally said multiple times, I'm a Christian. And he's using the Bible to advance his own leftist agenda. Well, as it turns out, you guys, the Bible is actually very, very (laughs) pro-life. If Pete Buttigieg wants to play at this game, saying that the Bible is pro-abortion because life begins with breath, then let's play at that game. Okay, I typically wouldn't give you a bunch of verses as to why abortion's wrong because I believe that abortion is wrong regardless of whether the Bible says it's wrong or not. Um, and, I'll, and I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that in a second. But because Mayor Pete is going to lecture the country on how the Bible is very pro-abortion, well, two can play at that game. So here's why the Bible is actually very, very pro-life. Here are a few verses that advance an extremely pro-life worldview and are irreconcilable in fact with the pro-choice worldview. So in Luke 1:15, we read for he, John the Baptist will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy spirit. Even before he is born, John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy spirit before he is born. Guess what? Blobs of tissue aren't filled with the Holy spirit. Skin cells aren't filled with the Holy spirit. Adams aren't filled with the Holy spirit human beings are intrinsically valuable human beings created in the image of God are those who bear the image of God are so clearly there is something unique and valuable about the pre-born john the baptist in the womb such that scripture would say about him he'll be filled with the holy spirit and then in luke 141 which is one of the most pro-life verses this is when elizabeth and mary meet Elizabeth being Mary's cousin, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And it says when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist is leaping in Elizabeth's womb when Mary enters the room because Mary is pregnant with the creator of the universe, who is both fully God and fully and fully fetal man, fully unborn man at that point. So clearly The unborn John the Baptist and the unborn Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit, are reacting to stimulus around them, namely the creator of the universe, and are clearly human. In Isaiah 49.1, Isaiah says, Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Again, God doesn't call blobs of tissue to serve him. He doesn't anoint blobs of tissue. He anoints human beings. And that human being began at the moment of conception. In Psalm 2210, the psalmist says, from birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. From, from the prenatal stage, you have been my God. I, you have loved me since then because I was created in your image with a purpose. And then probably the most popular pro-life verse at all and the most irreconcilable with the ideology of abortion that Pete Buttigieg claims is pro-Christianity is Psalm 139, 13 through 16. The psalmist says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. What's the secret place? When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, you knit me together in my mother's womb, in the dark of the womb, from the depths of the earth, in the secret place where every human being began that was created to be the most safest place for a human being to be, to be protected by their mother in their mother's womb, and yet is the most dangerous place to be today as an American citizen, as a a, a human being anywhere in the world except for the very small handful of countries where abortion is illegal, period, and has become one of the most dangerous places to be. And yet, if we're going to use the Bible to to construct our opinions on abortion, this would be the number one place to turn. If you believe in Jesus and you believe that he is God, so therefore he's also the creator of the universe, then the psalmist says that that God created you created Pete Buttigieg, created Joe Biden, created Kamala Harris, created Barack Obama, and knit them together in their mother's womb and that they had intrinsic value, dignity, and worth from that stage of development. And those same people are now campaigning for president, promising to kill more babies because, oh, well, life begins with breath. So you wanna play this game, Pete Buttigieg? Let's play this game. Let's see what the Bible says about abortion and the unborn person, and it's very clearly a pro-life worldview. Furthermore, if Pete Buttigieg is going to say that life begins with breath, and we know that he means breath through the nostril or mouth, right? I made that very clear because unborn children do breathe through the umbilical cord. So when he uses that verse to say, well, we can interpret that differently. And he's applying that to the issue of abortion. He's justifying abortion to the day of birth. So if he's going to make that claim in that argument, he has also just justified infanticide within the first 15 seconds. It's just the first 15 seconds after the baby is born because as it turns out, you guys, unborn babies do not begin breathing through their mouth or nostrils until about 10 to 15 seconds after birth. According to doctors, this is very common because we're still connected via the umbilical cord and we usually have amniotic fluid in our nostrils and mouth. So it takes about 10 to 15 seconds after a baby is born before they actually begin breathing through their nostril or mouth. But life begins with breath, guys. That's Pastor Mayor Pete Buttigieg's theology. So if your baby is born, as long as you take a stone and and cave in their, their cavity, their brain cavity, their skull, within the first eight to 10 seconds after they're born, that's perfectly permissible too because life begins with breath, only breath through the nostril or mouth. This is what Pete Buttigieg believes about human value and about unborn children. Lastly, if this is true, and we should only condemn abortion after a baby is breathing through their nostril or mouth, then this is also an argument for aborting Jesus. And Pete Buttigieg claims to be a Christian. He claims to believe in the Bible. Of course, he has his own perverted um, interpretations of the Bible to justify his policies and his positions, but he does claim to believe in the Bible. And if you do say you believe in the Bible, Old and New Testament, at the very least, you have to say, I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that he was fully God and fully man. I mean, that's the most basic thing you'd have to believe if you say you believe in the Bible. Well, But if Roe versus Wade existed in the first century and abortion was equally celebrated then as it is now, Mary and Jesus would have been the perfect prospects for abortion. Mary was an unmarried young woman facing an unplanned pregnancy. She was probably 14, 15, 16 whose whose fiancé was threatening and contemplating leaving her at the time. So she had no promised income, no promised husband, and she was extremely young. She would have been the perfect prospect for Roe versus Wade. Oh, you know, you can't have Jesus born into that type of rough, difficult lifestyle. What? She won't be able to pay the bills. It'll be such a horrible life for for baby Jesus. Let's just abort him. If, If the worldview that Pete Buttigieg claims to champion and his biblical beliefs, which are in fact not biblical beliefs, are true, then this was a perfect argument for aborting Jesus. And it would insinuate that the incarnate, fetal, unborn creator of the universe only had value after he was born, only had value after he started breathing through his mouth or nose. So if Pete Buttigieg wants to go down this road, He needs to say, the Jesus that I claim to believe predicted and pulled off his own resurrection and grants eternal life to human beings had no value as an embryo or a fetus until he was born and 15 seconds later started breathing through his nostril or nose. This is so extreme and such a brutal malignment of the word of God, obviously. Alrighty, so next we're going to discuss the House Republicans recently invited to host medical experts in Congress to voice their support for the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. But first, I have an exciting announcement. This fall and spring semester, in partnership with Students for Life of America, I am going on the road for my university speaking tour, which is entitled, Abortion is Genocide. And I'm going to be talking about how genocide has always entailed the dehumanization of an entire victim class that you want to mistreat or eliminate. And so just as we defined black people and Jews as non-persons and tried to convince the society that therefore it was justifiable to eliminate them, so too with the issue of abortion, do we define the unborn child as a non-person with no value in order to make it more intellectually tenable and plausible to abort them for whatever reasons we choose. And the consequence and result of this type of worldview, this type of dehumanization, is always dead, innocent human beings. They are always the ones who were sacrificed on an ideology that strips certain people of their personhood and value in order to justify their mass extermination. So that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm currently booked at UC Berkeley, Cal State, Long Beach, Fresno State, Cal Poly, Slow, and I have a couple more that are coming through, and I only have room for maybe one or two more in the fall semester, but I'll be available in the spring semester as well. So if you're interested in bringing that to your university, reach out to me through social media or my website, and we'll get that going. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Unaborted. So as I said last week, the House Republicans hosted medical experts on the Hill to testify before Congress that infanticide is indeed real and needs to be stopped. So there's a LifeSite News article from September 10th covering this story. So House Republicans hosted a neonatologist, an OBGYN and a nurse to discuss the reality of abortion survivors being killed or left to die after they escape through the birth canal, after a botched abortion, which if you've been following this story or this proposed bill at all, you'll know that the House Democrats have been denying that this even happens. They call it, oh, that's Republican talking point. Oh yeah, that's just Republican scare tactics talking about third trimester abortions or or abortions before the day of birth or, or abortion survivors, infanticide. That's just Republican talking points. That's just a scare tactic. And yet we have three medical experts here hosted in Congress telling their stories about the reality of infanticide and the reality of abortion survivors being left to die. Now, what is the background to this conversation? How did, we, how did we get to this point? Well, if you recall, our country actually under the Bush administration passed a similar type of legislation that was intended to protect abortion survivors, intended to protect babies who survived abortions. And that was in 2002, and it was called um, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Here's what that bill said. It specified that babies who survive abortions and are born, obviously, are to be recognized as human beings with human rights. It's a pretty basic sentence, pretty basic purpose of the bill. Okay, that's a human being, they have human rights. But this bill did not define what types of care, if any, are to be rendered by medical professionals to that abortion survivor. And the bill did not assign any legal penalties to abortionists who killed those infants who survived abortions. Okay. Now, do we need to have that language? No. As, As our country that's founded on the idea of what, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we should not have to clarify this. We should not have to take that bill any further. If a bill says that a baby who survives a botched, failed abortion is a human being with human rights and is protected under the law, that should be enough. But for the radical abortion left that makes a lot of money on killing babies through legalized abortion, that's not enough. For the radical far-left pro-abortion Democrats and senators on the Hill who are in office in large part because they've taken big money from Planned Parenthood and abortion, the abortion juggernaut, that's not enough. So Republicans who—I'm not saying Republicans are all— Pro-life from moment of conception, but let's be clear: there's only one party at this point that will end abortion. That's the Republican Party, unless by a move of God, the Democratic Party switches their support and platform from abortions to the day of birth to no abortion to no abortions whatsoever. So, in February of this year, of 2019. Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, who, by the way, is probably the most pro-life senator in the country, at least one of them, if you followed him at all. And he's given a lot of talks in Congress on the issue of abortion that have been very winsome and carefully articulated. Well, he brings up this bill for a vote called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. And obviously, it's been quite a few years since the 2002 bill under the Bush administration. And this bill proposed by Senator Ben Sass was a large response to Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, if you remember, going on a radio show and being asked a question of what would happen in your state if a mother basically changed her mind and wanted to get an abortion issue as she was giving birth, or if a baby was born during a failed botched abortion. And he said, well, I'll tell you what'll happen. We would make the baby comfortable. We would resuscitate the baby if that's what the mother wanted. And then the mother and the physician would have a conversation as if there's anything to converse about, about after that point, you have a born baby, your biological infant laying next to you, waiting to be laid on your breast, not waiting for you to have a debate with the doctor that helped deliver your baby about whether you're going to suffocate them and throw them in a trash can. So it was in light of that horrendous interview that a governor of a state in our country gave that Senator Ben Sasse said that 2002 bill was not enough to protect abortion survivors. And so the bill came to a vote and it was... It gained a majority vote, fifty-three forty-four, but thanks to the filibuster previously initiated by Democrats, it didn't receive the 60 votes necessary to overcome that filibuster. Think, I want you to think about that for a moment. Senators of the Democratic Party filibustered a bill that said three things. If a baby survives a botched, failed abortion, that baby needs to be immediately transferred to a hospital because, as it turns out, Abortion clinics are not created to preserve life, but to end life. Secondly, that baby has to be given the same level of medical and treatment and care that any other baby would be given born in normal circumstances. And lastly, the staff at an abortion clinic need to report that there was a baby born alive during a failed attempted abortion. And then if the abortionist murders that infant that survived an abortion, he'll be charged with the murder of an innocent human being entirely reasonable anyone listening to this probably agrees with that from a moral perspective notice this bill had nothing to say about abortion i think the only time the word abortion comes up in the bill is when it's describing the survivors the abortion survivors all of that the bill would demand would be basically what you do with that baby after it's born okay they filibustered that bill that is unreal this is literally just an anti infanticide bill. And the Democratic Party goes, no, no, no need to protect abortion survivors. As of last week, Democrats have blocked that bill from receiving a vote a total of 80 times. How committed do you have to be to death and to killing little babies to block a vote on an anti infanticide bill 80 times, 80 times? How much do you have to hate babies who are not even unborn? They're literally born to block a vote on a bill created to protect little abortion survivors. So this is the whole background to this story. And so House Republicans say we're going to invite medical professionals to testify that infanticide is real and needs to be stopped. So I want to play you a clip from Jill Stanek who was one of the three medical professionals who shared her story. And she tells her story from 2001 when she exposed infanticide at Christ Hospital in Illinois, where she was working. And her exposing of infanticide at this hospital really catapulted her into the pro-life movement as she became a very vocal Um, outspoken voice for unborn children. So it's a couple minutes, but I want to play you a segment of her testimony to give you a window into why the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act is indeed very important.
1: The procedure called induced labor abortion sometimes resulted in babies being aborted alive, and if they were aborted alive, they were allowed to die without any medical care or intervention whatsoever. They were given what was called comfort care, made comfortable, as Governor Northam indicated. One night, a nursing coworker was taking a little abortion survivor to the soiled utility room to die, and when she told me what she was doing, I couldn't bear the thought of this suffering child dying alone. He'd been aborted because he had Down syndrome, and he was between 21 and 22 weeks old, about the size of my hand, And he didn't move very much because he was using all of his energy attempting to breathe and I remember toward the end of his life I couldn't tell if he was alive or not unless I held him up against the light to see if I could see his heart beating through his chest wall because their skin is so thin at that age and After he was pronounced dead. I folded his little arms across his chest. I tied them together with a little string I wrapped him in a shroud and I took him to the morgue where we took all of our dead patients. That word comfortable, which Governor Northam used, is particularly grating to me. How far will doctors go to comfort themselves for letting abortion survivors die? Well, after I went public about survivors being taken to the soiled utility room, Christ Hospital created what it called the comfort room. This was a small, nicely decorated room, complete with a first photo machine in case parents wanted professional pictures taken of their aborted babies, baptismal supplies in case they wanted their aborted babies baptized, and a footprinter and baby bracelets in case they wanted keepsakes of their aborted baby. And you may not think that what I'm telling you can possibly be true, but I took pictures of that comfort room and I have submitted them today um, with my testimony. Clearly, little abortion survivors desperately need you to pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act to provide them with legal medical protections and not leave open the door whether they live or die. It is hard for me to imagine that any legislator would be comfortable with infanticide.
0: I don't know about you, but I have never wanted to cuss more on this show, <laughs> but because I'm a Christian, I'm going to refrain from doing that, but um, I give you free reign to do so in your car right now. My goodness. Jill Stanek's testimony has been known by many pro-lifers for a long time, but to the majority of the pro-life movement, and certainly the majority of the American public, this story was not known. And yet her story is representative of a larger problem in the country where babies who survive abortions that were supposed to be killed in the womb are still killed or left to die. And if you leave a little baby to die, you are indeed killing them. That's the same thing. And House Democrats are saying, we do not need this bill. It is unnecessary because that's a Republican talking point scare tactic. And that doesn't really happen. Nobody leaves little babies left to die after they've survived abortions. And they say things like, we already have laws in place to protect these babies. Remember Bush's 2002 bill that said babies who are born alive during failed abortions are human beings with human rights. We don't need your bill, Ben Sass, you pro-life bigot. There's already laws in place for this. Did you know earlier this year, house democrats brought a bill up for vote that condemned lynching it, it added lynching to the federal hate crimes list and uh and, and said that basically that's wrong we need to condemn lynching despite the fact that we already have laws in place against murder regardless of how you murder someone that bill got unanimous unanimous support republicans went sure i mean like lynching is a form of murder and murder is already illegal but like sure why not like yeah let's add lynching to the federal hate crime list despite the fact that we already have laws in place to keep you from murdering human beings, regardless of how you do it. And then when it comes to abortion, they say, oh no, we, we, all, we already have laws in place. We already have laws in place. So we, we don't need your anti-infanticide bill. Interesting, you had no problem condemning lynching and adding it to the federal hate crimes list, despite the fact that we already have laws in place to prevent murder and abortion as a form of murder. And, and murdering an infant that's already born is legally murder. Because murder is more of a legal term. Our country says that when you kill a baby in the womb, it's not murder because it's legal. But because infanticide is illegal, if you kill an infant, then it's murder. So at least legally and culturally, we can come to the same table, right? And say, can we at least call the killing of infants murder? Nope. Nope. Democrats do not want to call the killing of infants murder. If those infants were born alive during failed abortions, because you see, they were intended to be killed. They weren't supposed to make it out of the womb. They were supposed to be dismembered. They're unwanted, and that's where human value comes from, is whether you're wanted or unwanted. So the Democratic Party is the party of infanticide. They have been the party of abortion since 1973, at least, when it was legalized. They are now the party of infanticide. And th- that, that sound extreme? You don't like that? Let me, let me show you how. Let me show you exactly how. In 2002, when the Born Alive Infant Protection Act was passed under the Bush administration, do you want to know how much support that bill got? Unanimous bipartisan. Every single Republican and every single Democrat came to the table and unanimously supported and voted in the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, which simply said that abortion survivors are human beings with human rights. But if you start dictating what types of rights are entailed for those born alive abortion survivors, in 2019, you're called a pro-life bigot that is using scare tactics to make abortion illegal, despite the fact that Ben Sasse's bill Literally had nothing to do with abortion. It only had to do with how we treat babies who survive abortions and are no longer in utero. They're no longer in the womb. That makes you the party of infanticide. Now, in 2019, in February, when this bill came for a vote that just said, let's dictate how we treat these babies, okay? Let's actually mandate certain levels of protection for them. I don't know, like, if you're a baby who's born alive during a failed abortion, you should have the same level of medical attention and care as a baby born in normal circumstances. You know, like that. You wanna know how many Democrats in the Senate voted for that bill? Three. Three Democrats said, yes, we should vote to protect babies who are born from being dismembered or thrown in a trash can. Because if you leave them to die, that's you're either gonna suffocate them, leave them there on the table, or pitch him in a bottle of saline solution or in the trash. Three Democrats voted to condemn infanticide in 2019. The Democratic Party in 2002, unanimous support. They are the party of infanticide if only three senators will vote on an anti-infanticide bill. Do you know what's really frightening about this, though, you guys? Is that infanticide is the in, is in entirely intellectually consistent with the pro-choice worldview. That is what is frightening. That it's not like this is like some... some outlier of a position like, oh, like that's just crazy that you'd be for infanticide if you're pro-choice. No, intellectually, it makes perfect sense. It makes, it makes perfect sense to move from it's okay to kill babies in the womb to it's okay to kill babies outside the womb. That's what's frightening. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. If the unborn is not a person and abortion is a fundamental woman's right to kill a baby in the womb, why should that mother's right cease? or go away simply because one minute and six inches has passed from when the baby goes from unborn to born. What is so meaningful about the one minute between when the baby is unborn to born? What is so meaningful about the six inches that the unborn child travels from unborn to born that causes a pro-choice individual to say, it's okay to kill the baby in the womb, but after it's born, then it is morally atrocious to kill that baby. What is meaningful about the one minute and six inches between unborn and born? And of course, the answer is nothing is meaningful about that. And if human value is dependent on wantedness and on convenience, which are nearly 100% of the reasons why people support abortion, the mother doesn't want the baby or it's not convenient, then we're all screwed. If that's what human value is based on, if it's not based on the fact that you have value intrinsically in in virtue of being a human being, but rather it's based on your level of wantedness or convenience to others, then might makes right. And whoever is lower on the totem pole is screwed. And the unborn child is always the lowest on the totem pole because they cannot protect themselves. And our country says it's perfectly legal and the pro-choice movement says moral for the biological mother who created that human being to arrange their dismemberment. But then suddenly House Democrats say, oh, but if that baby's born, that, no, now it's wrong to kill you. I mean, except they're not. They're they're actually saying it's perfectly consistent. But on an individual level, they probably say they think that's wrong. But they're still going to vote against it in order to pander to radical leftists, in order to protect the abortion juggernaut, who is largely responsible for keeping them in their position, probably making them rich as they support abortion to the day of birth. And so this is why discussing and examining ideas is so important, because while all ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. While all ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. And the idea that human value is dependent on your location, six inches from the womb to the world, or it's dependent on your wantedness by your mother or your convenience to your born parents who were at one time unborn as well, but weren't dismembered is entirely dangerous, entirely morally bankrupt and something we should all condemn because might makes right at that point. And if human value is based on those things, and that's the criteria for human value, guess what? That criteria for human value applies when you're born as well. That's why supporting infanticide is entirely intellectually consistent with supporting abortion. Because if you say that baby's only valuable based on their wantonness and convenience, why would that criteria for human value cease when they're born? It, that, that doesn't make sense. So yeah, it is entirely intellectually consistent to apply that criteria for human value to the baby after it's born and say, I don't care if we leave you there to die. I don't care if we take you to a little soil room and, and, then, let your, and then have your parents pay the hospital to take photos of you dead to remind themselves that they did have a baby one time whose death they arranged, as Jill Stanek said. I don't care about that because my criteria for human value is wantedness and you're still unwanted despite the fact that you're born. Okay, what happens if we live in a society in 30 or 40 years or less where House Democrats and certain political leaders have decided that if parents don't want their one-year-old because the term infant is applied up to one-year-old, up to 365 days post-birth, that they can arrange their death through Planned Parenthood's new infanticidal arm to make more money because they're also unwanted. It's the same criteria. And so we should be thankful that House Democrats and the Democratic Party, which is the party of abortion, have been so inconsistent for so long. We should be thankful for that. And now it looks like they're being more consistent by saying, yeah, if you can kill a baby in the womb because they're unwanted, why not kill it after it's born because they're unwanted? My goodness. Well, next we're going to talk about this absolutely incoherent story from Apple bragging that their Apple Watch saved the life of an unborn baby while donating gobs of cash to pro-abortion groups. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars, from the front lines of the pro-life movement, then head on over to Patreon dot com slash unaborted that's patreon.com slash unaborted and become a patron of the show Uh, listen you know how this works right we need your help Greg cunningham one of the leaders in the pro-life movement says that there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them that's because killing babies is very profitable while saving them is very costly The abortion juggernaut makes a lot of money on the killing of babies, and yet it costs the pro-life movement a ton of money to even try to save those lives. So if you appreciate this show and you think that this is important for young people of the next generation, for Christian leaders, for pro-life leaders, For just moms and dads who care about life in our country to get equipped to defend life and be the pro-life generation, then become a patron of this show. Help us increase our production value, bring on guests, provide more content and equipping to you so that you're equipped to understand what's going on in the country and in the culture, and then go make a difference and go make an impact. So we need your help to reach our country and love our unborn neighbors and their mothers and fathers. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Unaborted. Thanks for staying on the show and, and, and staying with me through this sea of overwhelming and sometimes disappointing information from those who do not care about the lives of unborn children. I know I know it can be overwhelming at times, but that's what this show is about. It's to equip you and to equip the country to defend life and be able to be a voice crying out for the value of all life in a sea of people and politicians Who couldn't care less about trampling over the bodies of unborn children for their political and power agendas. But I got this clip and story from my producer the other day uh, from this video that Apple ran as really just a brag ad for their Apple Watch, which is fine, that's capitalism, but it was a very interesting dichotomous message I noticed in the video. And so Apple releases the video called Dear Apple Face to Face, and they're featuring stories from certain people whose lives were saved by the Apple Watch. And so they're sharing their stories with Apple. And so Apple obviously wants to reshare that to say, look how cool our Apple Watch is. Look at what it's doing. Our technology is saving lives. And so I want to play this brief clip for you. And it is going to have a couple other people's stories interjected very briefly because of how they sparsed up the clips. But I want you to focus on the story of the mother who claims that her unborn child was saved because of the Apple Watch. Dear Mr. Cook. Dear Apple.
1: Dear Tim.
0: 2 Cook at Apple.com.
1: Hey, how you doing? Hi. Hey, good morning. Nice to meet you. Okay. Hello. (laughs) So, the run began as usual. I was 32 weeks pregnant. Getting ready to go to bed.
0: The next morning I'd have notifications on my
1: watch and my phone saying, Your heart rate is elevated. And I was like, huh. That's strange. And I run my EKG and it says 220 beats. And I'm like, something's not right. I told my husband, like, we need to go. He was like, well, I'm in the middle of cutting grass. I'm like, we need to go. And then suddenly, I woke up to EMTs. Oh, this is my husband, Kyle. (laughs) He's going out to cut the grass. Once we got to the hospital, they realized it was some sort of infection. My heart rate was spiking, and it was causing the baby's heart rate to get lower and lower. So, emergency C-section, and she was born.
0: Had I not had surgery, it estimated that I would have had a heart attack within less than 12 months. I mean,
1: like, I'm, like, I have goosebumps. I don't know if you can see them through, like, the camera. It's crazy.
0: It's not something you think of, your watch. Saving your life.
1: Can you wave hi?
0: I mean, that's a really good story. I mean, that is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm wearing an Apple Watch. I don't have a problem with Apple products, but... The problem is, and what becomes so dichotomous about this story is that Planned Parenthood supports killing babies in the womb. Planned Parenthood, uh, I'm sorry, Apple has no problem killing babies in the womb. They perfectly are fine associating themselves with people who defend abortion, who campaign on abortion rights, who promise to advance and enshrine more rights to kill unborn children. And so they're bragging about How wonderful it is that this mother's unborn child was saved because of her notification on her Apple Watch. But also, we're going to give gobs of cash to pro-abortion groups, (laughs) right? Which is like, okay, well, pick your narrative. Are unborn children valuable or not? And Apple has given very generously to pro-abortion groups, namely the Southern Poverty Law Senator. Now, you're probably familiar with SPLC. They're a pro-abortion leftist think tank who label... Organizations they don't like as hate groups. I'm talking about like organizations that say we shouldn't kill babies and I believe in the conjugal sanctity view of marriage, the conjugal biblical view of marriage that every society for thousands of years has supported. They label those types of groups as hate groups. And the Southern Poverty Law Center frequently covers stories anytime that there's like, I don't know, a violent attack against an abortion clinic, but they fully support violence against unborn babies. So they claim to be a peace organization. They they claim to be anti-violence, but they are perfectly fine with violence against unborn children. And they're perfectly fine with violence against political and ideological opponents. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in one second. But in August 2017, after the Charlottesville... Virginia violent riots, Tim Cook of Apple promised a $1 million donation to the Southern Poverty Law Center. And he did this, he said, to combat white supremacy, and that's why he did this. Um, And yet the Southern Poverty Law Center is radically pro-abortion. Not only does the Southern Poverty Law Center advocate openly for violence against babies in the womb, but they also refuse to condemn political violence when it's targeted against their ideological or political opponents. Now, you might remember this story. This was in 2012. On August 15th, a man by the name of Floyd Lee Corkins walked into Family Research Council's headquarters office and he began firing his weapon, he shattered the arm of the building manager before being apprehended and disarmed. Floyd Corkins later pled guilty to assault with intent to kill while armed and committing an act of terrorism while armed. Corkins went on to say that he picked his target from the Southern Poverty Law Center's website, which categorized Family Research Council as a hate group because they're pro-life and pro-family values, the biggest family value being the conjugal biblical view of marriage, that marriage is a union between a man and a woman. And the Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled Family Research Council a hate group. And so Corkin says that Basically, he got the information about Family Research Council and the fact that they were anti gay and a hate group from Southern Poverty Law Center and used that to, to go find where they were located and, and use that to justify his violence against them because they're a hate group and, and hate is bad. So now I can justify domestic terrorism to people who, in my view, are committing terrorism, are committing violence. Because the left says that speech is violence. Speech they don't like is violence. And the the Southern Poverty Law Center had nothing to say about this. Nothing to say. Never once condemned Floyd Lee Corkins for his political violence against ideological opponents. That is who Tim Cook and Apple gave a million dollars to. And now they're stumping around talking about, isn't it great that our Apple Watch saved the life of an unborn Baby, you just gave a million dollars to one of the most pro-abortion groups in the country. The second group that Apple has given a lot of money to is the Center for American Progress. And in January of 2016, the Center for American Progress ran an ar- article called Reclaiming Roe for All. Re- reclaiming Roe for All, meaning Roe versus Wade. And they said in the article, quote, granting equal access to abortion would honor the dignity of all women. Granting equal access to abortion would honor the dignity of all women. Question, Center for American Progress. Does dignity for all women include unborn women? Because they're, you know, they're biologically female, so they're women. So when you say all women, did you mean unborn women? Of course not. So let's rephrase this. Granting equal access to dismembering unborn children in the womb would honor the dignity of all women except the 50% of unborn women that we dismember in the womb. You want a little uh, reality translation there from that euphemistic doublespeak. That's who the Center for American Progress is. And Apple continues to give money to them. So pick your narrative, Apple. Are babies intrinsically valuable and cute members of the human family who deserve protection? Or are they disposable, inconvenient messes that can be slowly dismembered? You, You can't stump around saying... Our Apple Watch saves the life of an unborn baby because the mother wanted her baby. While giving gobs and gobs of cash to organizations that are literally standing on a platform of dead babies who literally campaign on the increased access to killing babies in the womb and promise to continue to enshrine access to killing your baby in the womb and expand those rights. Those are counterintuitive narratives. You can't have it both ways because the only reason why we should celebrate the fact that Apple Watch saved the life of an unborn baby is if what? Unborn babies are valuable, right? If they're worth saving, if they're not valuable and not worth saving, then Apple would not have included this story in their ad, correct? That makes total sense. If the baby is a blob of tissue, it's not a person with rights, why advertise that they were saved? saved from what? It's just a blob of tissue. It's not a person. It it only makes sense to brag about that if the unborn child is intrinsically valuable. So Apple is giving a tacit admission that unborn children are valuable while giving gobs and gobs of cash to people who swear up and down that the unborn child is not valuable, (laughs) that they are disposable, inconvenient messes with no human rights or value and can therefore be slowly dismembered because hashtag women's rights. And as I bring up almost every episode now, because you need to understand that this is what is at the heart of the abortion debate, and that is the question, what makes humans valuable? And I'm gonna continue saying this for the rest of my life on probably every episode, because this is the question that the left and those who support abortion cannot answer. And I want you to be equipped to understand why this question is so important and be equipped to answer it yourself. Are humans valuable because of their level of wantedness or convenience, or are they valuable intrinsically, meaning that you cannot separate the existence of a human being from intrinsic value, right? It's in virtue of being human to have value. And that's why there is a very, 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 very small minority of the American public who actually thinks that there's a moral equivalency between killing your father and killing your cow. Almost nobody believes that. Why? Well, the answer is, of course, that human beings are intrinsically valuable. There's something about being a human being that gives you more value than animals. And the Christian worldview response to that is that human beings are created in the image of God. But even the secular American public that rejects the idea of the Imago Dei or the authority of scripture, what? They oppose things like infanticide. They oppose things like sex trafficking. They may not be able to explain why they oppose that but support abortion, but they do recognize the simple truth that human beings are intrinsically valuable even if they're not consistently applying that belief to unborn children. So this is the ultimate question in the abortion debate. What makes humans valuable? And Apple doesn't know how to answer that question. On one hand, they have an orienting of their soul, an orienting of their moral compass that points north that says, yes, human beings are intrinsically valuable. That's self-evident. That's why we're advertising the beauty of a story where our technology saved the life of an unborn child. But then they turn around and say, but I'm not a Christian and I don't know if human beings are intrinsically valuable and, you know, we really want to pander to groups that will help us increase our sales and we don't want to piss off the left that though they're a minority of the American public, they're very loud so they seem like a majority and so we're just going to give gobs and gobs of cash to radical pro-abortion groups. Pick your narrative. And we need to be able to answer this question, what makes humans valuable? The good news is is that the vast majority of the American public actually believes that human beings are intrinsically valuable. They're just inconsistently granting that value to unborn children. But we can offer a very rational, reasonable, and compelling case that the reason you think human beings have value after they're born is because they're human beings. You find that self-evident. And the only differences between the unborn child and the born child are the same differences amongst all born people. So if you're gonna say that all human beings are intrinsically valuable and have a right to have their lives protected, you need to consistently apply that to unborn children whose life began when yours began at the moment of conception. So we just needed to add that because that is the most important aspect of the issue of abortion and the aspect in question that is being left out of the story because Tim Cook and Apple don't know how to answer that question. Listen, I know this was a heavy episode. I know that there's a lot of things going on in the country that might be very frustrating and that might really piss you off or maybe even dishearten you. But that's why this show and the pro-life movement is so important. So if you appreciated this episode, please share it with someone. Give us a rating and review and consider becoming a patron of the show which will enable us to literally increase the footprint and access uh, and promotion of the show to others who need to hear this important message in this important time in our country as we get closer and closer to a half century of legalized abortion. So thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube. Give this show a review and rating so we can reach more people. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com. That's S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com for my training videos, my speaking schedule, uh, if you want to hear me speak locally, and subscribe to my newsletter to get training and equipping to your inbox. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted.